Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Hello, everybody. So today is August 25th, 2018, and it is Bernstein's 100th birthday. So I thought that we would re-release just this section of our interview with Peter Bay, in which we talk about Bernstein and the Mass and the Bernstein Centenary. So please enjoy this Podium Time re-release. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. One of the first scenes is of the, the young girl in her bedroom, and she pulls out a book. Within the book, there's another pullout, and there were a series of seven-inch records. And by golly, those were the accompanying records to Bernstein's Young People's Concerts in book form. I recognized the label (laughs) of the little record, and when she put that down, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm I'm in for it in this movie. Yeah. It's so so connected to the classical music, and how he picked the the specific Britain excerpts to go with the film. It's just stunning. But I thought it would be interesting to show my family at least, you know, what we're actually doing up here. <laughs> sure. Well, I mentioned Leonard Bernstein, um, mm-hmm. the, who I first saw when I was nine, and he, in a way, is what um, has triggered many, many audiences to to wonder what the conductor is looking like while they conduct, because we had the benefit of seeing him yeah. express what he felt about the music, and as you know, he rarely stood still. He jumped up and down. He had his hands up in the air, like trying to bring heaven down to him. Uh, the grimaces, the smiles, the ex- the ecstatic expression—everything about that piece of music came over his face. And we are so used to seeing that because we've seen concerts on television that it it is a little frustrating when you're sitting in the audience and wondering, well, what's he, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. You know, Bernstein was one of the first to take advantage of the the medium of television to not only explain music, but to show what conductors really do. Now, Toscanini was on television, of course, and other conductors were on television before him. Um, But you saw more of a a wide gamut of expression from Bernstein than anyone else up to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That serves as a as a nice transition into uh, 
into your upcoming big project. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> so as a, I mentioned, I, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and Bernstein was my hero and the, the reason I became a conductor. When I learned um, that Jackie Onassis had commissioned him to write the opening work for the Kennedy Center in Washington. Mm -hmm. I was ecstatic. I was 14 at the time when when the Bernstein Mass premiered at the Kennedy Center. And I, I think I took a series of buses, city buses, to get to the Kennedy Center. And I saw the fourth ever performance of the piece. And it stuck with me so hard that I kind of, I've been dreaming since I was 14 uh, that I would love to conduct this work. Little did I know how much money it would take to produce it, how many people <laughs> are involved. <laughs> uh, it's a very complex piece of music. It, yeah. it, it's like conducting a, a, a major opera and then some, because it has mm -hmm. not only the orchestra, it has marching band in it. It has a rock band. It has about 300, well, 200 singers. Um, it's just a massive piece of music. But I've always wanted to conduct it because I just find it a very emotionally powerful piece. And um, it's finally happening in Austin. Um, I started about two years ago with my wife raising awareness and we're raising funds for it. We had to produce this separately from the Austin Symphony because it was much too expensive for yeah. the symphony to put on. And they were kind enough to give me their blessing to let me do it as an independent project. But we had to raise all this money from people who had not given to the symphony before mm -hmm. because we had to be sure to keep all the fundraising oh, separate. You know, the see. orchestra is still fundraising and yeah. we were fundraising separately for the mass. But she did, she did a magnificent job with the help of about 15 other so-called ambassadors. Mm -hmm. And we are staging, fully staging the work. It's the first time that's ever been done in Texas, mm -hmm. a fully staged performance of Mass on uh, June the 29th and 30th. And um, the, uh, the Bernstein family were so uh, interested in this project that uh, both... Uh, um, Jamie and Alexander Bernstein, who are two of his three children, are coming here to uh, watch wow. the performance. So I'm thrilled. It's it's going to be a magnificent uh, experience, and uh, it's it's also the first time in the history of our city the the Austin Symphony, Ballet Austin, Austin Opera, uh, three local choirs, a new children's choir, the University of Texas Marching Band and several other university uh, ensembles are all participating in one project. It's never been done before. Wow. So that's happening this, this coming June, yes? This June, yeah. Do you yeah. know the piece? I, um, I've t I was just about to ask if you, could, if you could give us a quick rundown. I've talked about it in class and watched a, cu a couple clips, but I don't, I don't know it very well. Well, in, in 1971, you, you have to put it in context. This, this was written during the Vietnam War. Nixon was uh, president. Uh, Bernstein was very much anti-Nixon and anti-Vietnam War. And uh, it was a very contro controversial work because, for, for many reasons. Uh, number one, it's, a, it's based on the Roman Catholic ritual, Mass, but he did not want it to be performed in a church. He wanted it to be performed as a theatrical piece. Mm -hmm. So it, it premiered in the Opera House of the Kennedy Center. 
it's all it's he calls it mass a theater piece for players singers and dancers and um you can imagine a roman catholics priests or otherwise <laughs> going to the theater um watching the celebrant come out initially wearing a t-shirt and jeans playing the guitar <laughs> and then being dressed in the roman catholic vestments and then right after that a marching band comes down the aisle uh, during the Kyrie, and all these rock musicians and so forth, all participating. Um, and in the in the course of the Mass, you find that the congregation are very upset with God. Um, they're, they're upset about all sorts of things, complaining, just like we did as teenagers against the war. You know, mm-hmm. we, we made placards and protested the Vietnam War and so forth and so on. And it seemed like these young people were protesting just about everything and losing faith. And at the climax of mass, about, I'd say about 75% in or 80% into the piece, the celebrant has a mental nervous breakdown. Hmm. He he stands on top of the, the altar, throws the chalice down, it breaks into many pieces. And he has this extraordinary soliloquy for about 10 minutes and he's lost his faith. Hmm. So a friend of mine who is a priest said that his mother was at, at this, one of these performances and she had to run out of the theater three or four times because all of this seemed very blasphemous. You know? yeah, yeah. And plus you had a Jew writing a Roman Catholic mass mm-hmm. with marching bands and rock musicians and so forth in it. It just was a very controversial piece, but yeah. an extraordinarily powerful one. Mm-hmm. Um, some of his best music is in there and it has everything you know about Bernstein's music in it. It has West Side Story types of sounds. It's Chichester Psalms type of sounds in it. It has some of his concert music sound in it, some 12-tone music in it. Uh, he uses quadraphonic uh, pre-recorded uh, segments in it too, so your surround sound in the theater. He, he threw everything in it, plus the kitchen sink. <laughs> but it's a very emotionally powerful piece and eventually at the end it's the congregation who are questioning him who help raise him raise him back up mm-hmm. and sort of resurrect his his own faith yeah it's uh, again it is stuck in my mind since 1971 and um now here we are 2018 i'm finally going to get a chance to conduct it mm-hmm. maybe the last time i'll ever conduct it yeah so because it is so difficult and there's so much that goes into it um, I'm assuming this is not frequently performed. It, it, no, it's not. Although I will say because this is the centennial year of Bernstein's, uh, uh, well, his, his 100th anniversary, there are more organizations putting it on. I know just recently the Philadelphia Orchestra performed it with uh, Yannick and a recording was just issued. Uh, Dudamel just did it in Los Angeles, but they mm-hmm. both did it with everyone on stage, I believe. Yeah. Uh, without well or minimal sets and, and 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 so forth, but ours will be a fully staged performance. And because it's fully staged, it requires so many people, and it's a very expensive thing to put on. That's one of the reasons it it hasn't been done very often. But yeah. you know, I think in my lifetime, I saw three or four staged performances of, or I'd say two staged performances of it, and two concert versions. It's it's picking up steam again, and, and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the recording of it is what kept it going. 
kept the, the memory of the music going. Um, uh, Bernstein recorded it while the first production was going on, but he didn't conduct in the theater. He was oh. writing up until the last minute. So he, he had no time really to, to uh, rehearse and, and do the performances in the theater, but they would do their shows. And in the mornings and early afternoons, he'd take everyone over to the concert hall at the Kennedy Center, and that's where he made the recording. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he, he never he never record he never performed it uh, in a staged version himself. Okay. Just like he never he never conducted a staged version of West Side Story. Mm-hmm. All he did was re- uh, record the whole thing in a studio, and I'm sure you've probably seen that video of the recording sessions. Now, since this is something that is very close to you personally, um, are you kind of excited to be able to do, uh, like, kind of put your own your own interpretation on it? Um, have you, like, had, gone to a concert and you've heard it that maybe you were a little disappointed by, you know, their interpretation? Or is it something that's pretty, pretty straightforward, like, this is just how it is? I would say uh, it, it is pretty much how it is. Um, Everything is very clearly marked in the score as far as Tempe and so forth and so on. But the celebrant, who is the lead, uh, the lead role in the piece, will bring his own interpretation to the music, probably within the guidelines of the score. Yeah. But um, I, I have seen one performance online that I, I was disappointed with, only in that it seemed like it was under-rehearsed. And you can't under rehearse this piece. It's, again, it's it's in a way it's a three ring circus um, mm-hmm. to put together. But that's pretty much what an opera is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this this to me is 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 an opera. Yeah. It just happens to use a Roman Catholic mass as its uh, foundation. Mm-hmm. I know there are a couple recordings online. I think there's one. There are more more. I, oh, yeah. I think there may be five or six now for for decades. In fact, I'd say for uh, Marin Alsop is only the second person to record that. And I think it came out, uh, I want to say 2010. Okay. So that's about 40 years <laughs> between recordings. Wow. And then since Marin put hers out, um, I know Kent Nagano recorded it. I think Christian Yervi recorded it, uh, and now Yannick Zizaga mm-hmm. has recorded it. So yeah. that's not a whole lot of recordings, but I understand. It, again, it's just very difficult to put a production of this on. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine to to have to pay all these performers? Yeah. <laughs> recording company. Well, uh, let me see. Somewhere around here is a copy of it. So uh, Deutsche Grammophon is the one who who released it, and they must have ponied up quite a bit to uh i can't find it but anyway um oh here it is so this is it Mm -hmm. he has a whole series of candles votive candles spelling out mass i see but um it's just it's a cast of thousands and uh, god bless uh, deutsche gramophone for putting it out Mm -hmm. philadelphia orchestra is not cheap to record by the way no i don't think so it's not an inexpensive proposition yeah, so there are recordings, but nothing's uh, nothing's going to beat it live. So if you're in the right. if right. you're in the area, absolutely go see it because you may not, you know, they're not not something like this. There are not going to be that many opportunities to to see it live. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very important project. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I'm 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 glad we were we were able to bring it up. Appreciate it.
So should, we can move on to some of our sure some of our smaller questions. Sure. Um, who is somebody that you particularly admire? Um, it doesn't have to be a conductor. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, wow, that's a. How do I answer that question? Uh, well, certainly Bernstein, uh, for for obvious reasons. Um, well, you know, I should say maybe not so much for obvious reasons. Uh, Bernstein was not only a, a magnificent musician, but he was so interested in uh, human causes, um, pacifist causes, um, human rights. Um, and, you know, because of his his desire to, to put people's and especially people's in conflict together, it got him into a lot of trouble with the government back in the day. I think there was a 600-page dossier on him. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover was after him big time because he he espoused um, U.S.-Soviet uh, US Union cooperation, especially, you know, um, musical cooperation, and we should send American uh, performers yeah. to... To Moscow, and they should send us, and all of this during the Cold War. And um, you know, he was almost uh, put on the stand there during the McCarthy hearings. Some of his friends were put on the stand, and that was that's another episode. But I, I appreciate his humanism. I'm very fond of Yo-Yo Ma, and who isn't? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for for many of the same reasons. Uh, he's not just a, a great musician, but he's a real man. She's a he's a wonderful man, a very kind man, and has funny things to say and very profound things to say. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very fond of Alfred Hitchcock. Love his <laughs> films. Wes Anderson is another film uh, maker that I I truly appreciate. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, have you seen Have you seen Island of Dogs? No, but that's on my list of things to do. I've I hope been, by next week I can see that movie. I, Have you seen it yet? I haven't. I haven't, but that's on my list of things to do as well. <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom. Oh yeah, is a, a stunning. Well, Moonrise Kingdom is a great is a great film for classical music lovers mm -hmm. to see. Oh yeah, because the entire score is by Britain, or the uh, Britain, Benjamin Britain. Person's Guide, right? And exactly, and this freaked me out. One of the first scenes is of I think the the young girl in her bedroom, and she pulls out a book, and and within the book there's another pullout, and there were a series of seven inch records, and by golly, those were the accompanying records to Bernstein's Young People's Concerts in book form. Oh. I recognized the label <laughs> of the little record, and when she put that down. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm I'm in for it in this movie. Yeah. Um, it, it's so it, it's so connected to the classical music and how he picked the, the the specific Britain excerpts to go with the film. It's just stunning. Mm -hmm. And you see you see Bill Murray and um, Bruce Willis in ways you've never seen them before. Uh, brilliant. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's so many things I'm fond of, <laughs> <laughs> but those people come to mind right away. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podium Time. You can find show notes for this episode and all of our other episodes at podiumtimepod.wordpress.com. Be sure to join our mailing list there or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podiumtimepod. 
Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Ligorati.